She tells us she was transported as she watched the 1939 film Wuthering Heights when she was a young one, no doubt taking in every word of Merle Oberon's silver voice in the role of Kathy and the dramatic figure of Laurence Olivier, especially in the scene on the windy moors as Kathy's voice calls out, Heathcliff, Heathcliff. Surely, young Patricia was moved by the intensity of that scene, but what really swept her away was this voice calling out wordlessly through the film. violin solos in Alfred Newman's score. Patricia Tracy will tell us she knew then and there that she wanted to play the violin so that she could sing out melodies she loves and touch listeners as she was touched by violinist Lewis Kaufman playing namelessly in Wuthering Heights. Patricia Tracy is now a mature artist who moves people and presidents with heart-melting music movie music like this example. My heart will go on from Titanic, but she is a classically trained violinist who performs with orchestras in places like Carnegie Hall in New York and the Royal Albert Hall in London, not to mention the traditional Irish tunes she spins out when she's featured with Riverdance or at the White House. You can see her in the IMAX film Ireland, narrated by Liam Neeson. It's playing all around the world, and you can hear her play here in northeastern Pennsylvania on Sunday, August 20th at Harmony in the Woods in Hawley in a benefit concert for WVIA. We had a chance to speak by phone with Patricia Tracy about her life in music and we'll even meet her inspiring mom. My mother had a phenomenal singing voice. She was, she was very interested in classical music and she sang, you know, at the choir every Sunday. She led the choir. And from I was very young, I was going playing at Mass every Sunday and started off that way. There wasn't much pop music in the house, I wouldn't say. My older brothers probably li- listened to the bit of the Boomtown Rats and U2 and stuff like that. But um, I was more interested in the classical stuff. I mean, loving, obviously, the Irish traditional as well. But personally, as a player, I fixated on more classical music and violin. I think it first started when I was watching Wuthering Heights, you know, the black and white version, the real old one. That's like the first movie I ever remember watching. And the film score, the movie score was just beautiful. And I was absolutely enthralled by it. And, and that's why I wanted to start to learn the violin, actually. But I did watch the movie again lately, and, and it, was, it was equally as breathtaking. So what did you do? Did you ask your mom to get you a violin and lessons, or how did that play out? Well, I was the youngest of six. My brother next to me, he, he started kind of asking her for music lessons before I did, but he put the notion in my head. 
she did try the, the first four at music and it didn't really take. One of them, my sister Sharon, she kept it going all right. But the rest of them really didn't want to know about music. And anyway, she she was kind of reluctant to send us. And uh, then she said, you know, there's not enough money in the kitty. So there's only one of you going. And she said to my brother, William, you're going to be the farmer. So you're not going. But Patricia, she can go. I don't know how devastated he was. I can't remember. We were like, I was five at the time. But uh, anyway, I got I got the lucky straw on that one and I got to go. But he did get the farm. So he's, <laughs> he's not doing so badly either. If you were five, did you start with a little violin? Did you go to a private teacher? Or did so, you... you know, there was. There was a, it was a private teacher I went to and I started with the very little quarter-sized violin. So cute. Um, now, I ended up not going until I was seven because I was due to go when I was six to lessons. And, of course, being the tomboy that I am, I fell out of a tree and sprained my arm. So it was, wasn't until I was seven that I ended up going. But so the violin was beautiful, and I started with a local lady, Sheila Thompson. And uh, then after that, I was winning competitions. But I heard about this legendary violin teacher who was a priest, but he actually couldn't play the violin. His name was Father McNally. And... He was renowned all over the world because his students were winning competitions and playing all over. And he actually approached my mother after one of the competitions that I had won in Dublin. And he asked her, would she like him to teach me? And so we were thrilled. I mean, he was just such an amazing guy and did it all free of charge as a hobby. So he was he was my mentor after that. I went to him from I was 10 until... I was, you know, finished in secondary school and was going to head off to university. But he was an incredible, incredible mentor. Did he do everything from help you with technique to musicality and understanding phrasing and things, the whole arc of what it means to be a performer? The whole nine yards. He was he was so inspirational and he knew all about the technique. He had read every book under the sun. Uh, he knew how to play the violin, but he had never picked it up. So physically, he wasn't able to. But that was actually better for me as a violinist, because if you came in with a problem, with a passage that you're having difficulty getting around, he kind of thoroughly looked through it and figure out where the problem was and give you exercises on how to, how to get over that issue and be able to play it. And that's because he couldn't do it himself. You, know, you go to some maestros, and they're gifted, and they're amazing players. And as a student, you're in awe of them. But they go to teach you, and you're having a problem. Like, say, you have a difficulty in a passage, and you're not figuring it out yourself. And they'll play it. They'll demonstrate, and they'll say, do it like that. And you're thinking, yeah, but how did you do that? But it was really interesting with Father McNally, because he saw the difficulty, and he would figure it out physically, slowly, and if it didn't work one way, he tried another way. He was just incredible. He sadly missed by all his students. They loved him dearly. Where did you go then from father? Did you go to London? Yeah, I actually, I went to London and I, I did my degree there with Pauline Scott at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, which was fantastic. And close enough to home. I actually did do a spell in McGill University in Montreal with Mauricio Fuchs before that, but I found it very far away from home. So I, I was able to transfer to London, which was great. And then, of course, you were 
you're only a hop over the pond back to Ireland from London. When you were in London, were you able, were you all consumed with playing or did you get to the theatre or the art museums? Could you do those other things? Oh, absolutely. We did everything. We went to all the museums and Madame Tussauds and played a lot. At the university, we had a lot of orchestral work to do as well, which would consume some of the weekends, but we'd be in, you know, the Barbican Hall and doing lots of big concerts. So it was all music and all just an amazing experience. What players caught your ear? Yeah, um, Eistrup would be a big, I'd be a big fan of, obviously, Perlman. I love Perlman and his rendition of Schindler's List. Just, I think it's amazing. Everything he plays is amazing. Um, ben Groff, I mean, there's so many. There's literally so many great musicians out there. Did we understand that you had a debut performance at Carnegie Hall? I did, I did. My first time playing in Carnegie Hall was back in 2009. It was was one of the St. Patrick's Day celebrations and I was asked to play so that was quite daunting but what a wonderful, wonderful uh, experience. That was thrilling. And then, I mean, since then I've played, you know, in the Royal Albert Hall in London, um, Carnegie Hall a couple of times more. Oh, I don't know, I can't even mention, but major venues throughout the world. So I'm, I'm very, very happy about that. But obviously, Carnegie Hall, from a young age, that's the one place you aspire to get to. As the old joke goes, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. Do you remember what you played in that first Carnegie Hall performance? Yeah, it was it was an Irish team, definitely. So I was going with, did I play now? Mm-hmm. Played, I know I played Reverdance. I think I played the Coolin on Coolin. And when you play those traditional tunes... Do you have them in your ears? Were you exposed to those traditional tunes and those traditional fiddlers when you were growing up? Um, I would have been, without going to even find them myself. I mean, it was in every every place you go to in Ireland, be it a cafe or a, or a bar, you hear all that stuff in the background. So you're, you're exposed to it regardless of you go to look for it yourself. I would know all the tunes. So yeah, very much so. Then I think it's in our genes, isn't it? <laughs> and I'm also curious in that regard, when you play Bach, now Bach had gavots and sarabands and other dances and things like that. Mm-hmm. What about when you are performing as a violinist, either a classical concert or these traditional tunes? How do you relate to dance? Did you do dancing when you were a little one or at some point in your life? I didn't, but I, well, that's, Oh, no, that's not true. When we were when we were studying at the Guildhall, we did take a couple of dance classes just to experience that sort of step and how you would feel, so that you could relate more to your performance when you're when you're playing a gavotte or sarban or things like that or a jig. So we did do some classes. I had actually forgotten about that. <laughs> you're bringing a flood of memories back to me, so you are. But then, in relation to the Irish music and the classical music, it's still all very much one. It's all, it's all music, and no matter how you're influenced, like I would bring a little bit of Irish, obviously, into my playing if I'm playing classical, but similarly, the classical is going to go into my traditional playing. So it's, it's kind of, it is a bit of a crossover. And then when you're taught classically, you're given all the physical tricks to be able to get you around the violin. So it makes it a lot easier to play any sort of Irish tune and and you have the clarity 
and the confection and obviously the, the bow and how to do everything. So I think it all helps. I know, you know, a lot of, even in Ireland when I'm playing um, concerts, people people love to hear what they know. And, and unless you're specifically going to a classical concerts, but normally across the board, people want to hear what they know and sort of more easy listening, like if it's a corporate event and you've got every class of people there, it's, you know, the easy listening, the tunes, it's Packet Bell's Canon, it's, you know, River Dance, Lord of the Dance, that sort of stuff that they already are familiar with. That's what I feel goes down the best in these kind of scenarios. Each time you do them, you don't tire of them because you're always in the moment and you even improvise as you're doing some of those or add some flourishes. Absolutely, and and each crowd is so different. I mean, it's amazing, and you have to kind of... I wouldn't always stick to my playlist. I would kind of get a feel for what the, what the guests are, are looking for, the audience is looking for, and I might change it around a bit for it to be more appropriate to who I think I'm playing to. But you, you just, you have a different reaction every time you, you perform. And it's, I think it's that that gives you the energy and the enthusiasm to perform each time. I mean, you, you get such a thrill and a high from performing. It's amazing. And, it, and that really comes from the energy of your audience. So that's the kind of program and the approach you'll take when you come to play a Harmony in the Woods Yes, I definitely would. I mean, I'll, I'll set out a basic playlist and then I might vary it as I'm there, as I see what the, what the crowd are enjoying, you know. And I just hope, I hope everybody has a great time. I'm so looking forward to it. We are too. But I want to take you back. You played with the Cross Border Orchestra of Ireland and I was wondering if you could tell us what that is and how effective you think it is. So the Cross Border was started over 25 years ago. It, it started actually as an initiative through the peace agreement, which was signed just 25 years ago. And it was trying to bring kids north and south of the border together, playing music. So there was through music, they could communicate, get along. And it kept going for the 25 years. So I think it's a huge success. And I think there was even a couple of engagements between Catholic and Protestants in those years. So everybody gets along absolutely great. And they've toured all over Ireland. And every other year they go somewhere out of the country and tour there. So yes, it's a great organization. One step further then, Patricia, the idea of the power of music in our lives in general, whether it be in stressful times, violent times, times when there's division in our society, but just in general, you're devoting your life to music. What is the power for us and why do we seem to need it as much as we do? I think when you feel everything else is not working or or you feel alone, you turn to what you're sure of, and that can be music. And it brings you to a place where you can relax, regroup, um, let it wash over you, try and think things through. I think it can be so helpful and also so powerful in making you feel and bringing out your emotions. You know, even when you least expect it, when you could be sitting at a concert 
in bad form about something and the next thing you're just carried away by what you're listening to and you're overwhelmed with, with, with this emotion that you may not even be able to understand. But it's bringing you to a place, I think, a better place. And that's the importance and the power of music. I put it off till the last minute because I'm sure you've told this story a lot of times, but you have been in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and you know that young Joe Biden was born there and he grew up there. And we have to ask you, how did you come to know the Bidens? Well, let me think. So it was back in, this goes back as far as 2002, I want to say, when Bill Clinton President Clinton came to Ireland and he was instrumental in signing, getting that peace deal signed for for uh, the whole of Ireland. And he came when it was signed and he came to Dundalk, which is where I'm from. And I was asked to represent the town, I suppose, and play. So I was on the stage with, with the Clintons and uh, played Danny Boy that night. And it was just, I mean, the town of Dundalk was just electric. So crazy excitement. And then I got a call. It was 2016. And I was asked would I come and perform for the then Vice President Biden at his residence at the number one Naval Observatory. And sure, I was absolutely thrilled. So I came over and I performed. It was a breakfast and it was St. Patrick's Day morning. And he had a group of guests, including our own Taoiseach, uh, Andy Kenny and his wife, Fanula, and I performed at this breakfast for like, oh, I think it was about 30 people, um, captive audience. It was it was terrifying in a way because I kind of spoke about the music as well as I was playing. And anyway, when, that, when I was finished, he came over to me and he said, where did your love of music come from? And I was all giddy with excitement because I'd played and it went well. So I was having no problem talking away to him then. I said, oh, it was all my mother. My mother's amazing. She took me to all the violin lessons and she helped me practice and it's all thanks to her. And he, he looked around and he goes, oh, where is she? And I said, oh my goodness, no, no, no. My mother's in her 80s, so she couldn't travel over here to Washington. No, that's too far away. She couldn't do that. I said, she's at home and I'm sure she's sitting in the kitchen and she's praying and she's loads of candles lit that I play well. And, and I said, I'm sure at this point she'll nearly have the house burned down with all the candles lit. So he took a fit of laughing. And he says, what? oh my goodness, he says, get her on the phone. He says, I want to speak to her. I looked at him and I said, are you serious? And he goes, yeah, get her on the phone. I said, oh, uh, well, but the Secret Service took my phone. <laughs> so he said, oh goodness. So he shouted at somebody, get this lady's phone. And anyway, I dialed the number. I nearly couldn't remember the number in the panic. And he took the phone off me. I didn't even say, ma'am, it's Vice President Biden on the phone. He took it off me and he says, hello. He goes, Mrs. Tracy. He said, this is Joe and your daughter played fabulously. So they chatted away for a good 15 minutes on the phone. And I was standing beside him. And our own T-shirt, Andy Kenny, was also standing there and kind of, you know, saying, I want to talk to her as well. But I want to talk to her as well. And then the Secret Service said, come on, Vice President, you're going to be late for the White House. You have another place to be. And so he was giving them no heat. So anyway, then um, he said to ma'am, he goes, Mrs. Tracy, there's another man here. He says he's very important. Well, I don't know. But anyway, he wants to talk to you too. 
and he passed the phone off to our Taoiseach, Andy Kenny, <laughs> and then he headed off. So that was hilarious. So then that evening, of course, I was playing in the White House again for President Obama, and I again I meet Vice President Biden, and he just came over and he goes, like we were old friends, give me a big hug, and we just had the best evening. So I played again. Then I was asked to play when he came to Ireland in 2017, and he spoke in uh, County Louth, where his ancestors are from, actually in Carlingford. And I played again. And then he asked, while well, I got the call in November, would I play for his inaugural mass in uh, 2020? So that was just a huge, huge honour um, as an Irish person to be able to represent your country. I couldn't believe it. It was just a huge privilege and an honour. And then again, for the last St. Patrick's Day at the White House, it was their first event since they moved in, due to COVID, of course, and I was asked to play for St. Patrick's Day. So, I mean, (laughs) it's just been a whirlwind of amazing experiences with President Biden and his family. How did Mom react? What did she say to you afterwards? Oh, I think she was just, so proud, but she had probably said that many prayers that she felt it was all in the lap of the gods at that point. And she was just, she was thrilled and happy and proud. And it was uh, incredible. I mean, just, <laughs> I, I think when you, I think when you have a lot of faith, you think there's a reason for things like that to happen. And, and maybe that's, maybe that's where she was going. But, I mean, she chatted away to him. I mean, <laughs> she's 90 now, so um, she's seen a lot of the world. She's been through a lot. Does she still sing around the house, or does she still... She does. Oh, she does. She's a, she still has an amazing voice. Doesn't sing anymore at church, no. But, um, like, when I was young growing up, and I'd, I'd be given a study to learn or a piece of music, and I'd be trying to get through it and trying to play my studies, and, you know, not always playing it in tune. And I'd be playing in the kitchen and she's going about the place, minding our business or doing whatever, she's cooking or whatever. And she's, she'll sing it the correct way, of course, perfectly. <laughs> and it used to drive me nuts because she could sing it and then I wasn't getting it right. <laughs> to get mad with her. <laughs> oh, she was amazing. Amazing lady. Internationally known Irish violinist, Patricia Tracy, speaking with us in anticipation of her performance at Harmony in the Woods in Holy, Pennsylvania, on Sunday, August 20th at 5.30 in the evening. The concert is a benefit for WVIA. Harmony in the Woods and WVIA partnering for this event. There are tickets for the concert only and also for the concert and a reception to follow. And for information and to get those tickets, it's wvia.org slash events, wvia.org slash events, Harmony in the Woods and WVIA, a partnership to celebrate Irish music with Patricia Tracy. She is a premier violinist and she's gained a reputation around the world. And she's performed as a soloist in major venues, Carnegie Hall in New York, the Royal Albert Hall in London, 
the Kennedy Center in Washington, and she will bring music to delight us, as she explained when she comes to Harmony in the Woods. The Harmony in the Woods Amphitheater is a very special place. It's comfortable. There are not only aesthetic qualities, but special chairs designed for our comfort, folding-type chairs, places for us to put our beverages and such. And if it ever sprinkled, they run out into the audience and distribute umbrellas. So you know they are caring very much about our comfort. But also, the shed, the cover over the stage, has been designed by the distinguished architects at Bolin Sawinski Jackson. And so it's just a beautiful setting and the trees and the birds and the lovely, lovely playing a beautiful place to hear music of all kinds and you can find out more about Harmony in the Woods. Their season lasts into September. The Labor Day weekend concert I think is a wonderful Latin inspired ensemble. So for this event it's Patricia Tracy, a benefit concert for WVIA in cooperation with Harmony in the Woods, Sunday, August 20th at 5.30 p.m. and that's Holly, Pennsylvania and for more information and tickets, wvia.org slash events. <laughs>